Blog Talk Radio. on November 12th, and you are listening to Journey into Passion with me, Anika S., on Everyday Folks Radio. Welcome to your weekly encouragement and inspiration hour, where information is provided to you to help you, go, to help you on your own journey towards your passion. Please visit my blog at anikamadison.com for more information on my work, see posts that I hope will inspire and encourage you, get information on upcoming shows under the About Me category, and find out where I am on my own journey. I also have a Facebook page, and that is www.facebook.com slash journey into passion with an EKS. Well, the election has finally ended. Some of you are happy, while others are nervous with the results. For anyone who's nervous about the expected changes, I have begun working on a project that I, I believe might be helpful to you. I'll let you know more on the future shows, as well as on my Facebook page at uh, www.facebook.com slash Journey into Passion with an EKS. As you know, yesterday was Veterans Day, so I want to say thank you to all the veterans, including my dad, grandfather, several of my cousins, and friends for your sacrifice and your service. Shout out to the members of the South Florida Writers Association. Thank you for tuning in today, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you are a writer and live in the South Florida area, please visit www.SouthFloridaWritersAssociation.org. That's SouthFloridaWritersASSN.org. And you can get more information on this site. Special shout-out to Dr. Steve Leibowitz, Beverly Malaysia Haig, and Ernie Soshin. Thank you once again for being my special guest. And thank you to Mervyn Solomon for being the one who sends out all my emails to the, to the organization. I appreciate all of your support, and I just, I just appreciate all that you have done for me. So thank you. And tomorrow is the Miami start of the Miami Book Fair. So make sure you check it out. Go, go to the MiamiBookFair.com website. Um, and, of course, it's um, sponsored by the uh, Miami-Dade, and it's going to be in downtown. So make sure you check it out. And now for my grateful moment. Today I am fortunate enough to have another member of the South Florida Writers Association award-winning screenwriter and published author, Mort Leitner. Mort has written a book called A Hebraic Obsession. I'm going to get it out. A Hebraic Obsession, which chronicles his own journey from childhood to retirement and lessons he learned about his father, Dr. Leitner, the Holocaust, Judaism, and life. He and his son will both be joining us today, and his son helped him produce the, the movie that Mort wrote called The Stairs. If you would like to speak to Mort, Blake, or myself during the show, please call 347-539-5372 or send an email to anikepassionjourney at gmail.com. Hello, gentlemen, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Anike. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, let's jump right in. I want, to, I want to start off by allowing everybody to get to know you more. So, Mort, I read that you're a short story writer, teacher, and attorney. Now, now which, which came first? Did you start out as an attorney? Which one came first? 
Actually, I was thinking that I became a poet when I was in college, and I wrote love poetry to my future wife. After that, I became a lawyer. After that, I became a short story writer. After that, I became the writer of the uh, memoir about my father and a biography about my father. Oh, nice, nice. Now, I read you practice public health law with the Miami-Dade County Health Department until you retired, and now you teach law and ethics. What What did you enjoy about practicing law? There's nothing like being in the courtroom. It's like being in a sporting event. You're uh, jousting with the other attorney. You have the judge as a referee. Winning is everything, and losing hurts a lot. Yeah. Now that must have been that must have really prepared you for your writing career, because of course, you know, you never know well, if somebody's actually going to accept your work. Well, you, that's absolutely correct. And what you in the in the courts is usually appellate briefs. And the first book I wrote, that was a healthy story book, which was about 20 pages, which was the size of my normal appellate brief. So I knew I could do it because I had done it a number of times. Oh, excellent, excellent. So, so basically, um, well, you basically answered the question about how law actually affected you as a writer. Would you like to expound on that? Well, law teaches you to become very concise in your writing. The judges don't want to see a lot of hyperbole. The judges don't want to see flashy language without much meaning. They want short, concise sentences. And writing is the same way. If you can write good, short, clean sentences, the reader really appreciates your writing. And if you can't do that, you need to practice more and work harder at getting your writing sharp. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you and I are both a part of a wonderful organization called the South Florida Writers Association. And so as a, being a member of this organization, what, has that, what have you gained by being a part of this group? The, the greatest thing is camaraderie, where you have fellow mm-hmm. writers talking to you, teaching you, commiserating with you, telling you the ups and downs of their careers. It all, writing is pretty solitary, but when you're with a group of writers, you can all talk about your ups and downs, your wins, your losses, and it makes you feel a lot better that you're part of a community. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I also write short stories, and I enjoy the challenge of getting a, condensing the story into like a thousand words or less, and, and really that's, that's a challenge for me, and I, I actually enjoy that. So how, what, is, um, how, what do you enjoy about being a short story writer? Well, writing a short story can be very difficult because you've got to set a scene very quickly. You've got to come up with a, the essence of the story, in a, in a short period of time, and you've got to end the short story with a bang, with a wow. So usually people can write a pretty decent short story, but where they fail is coming up with a bang at the end of the story, which is hard to do. You want the reader to go, wow, that was a story I want to read again. That, wow, I want to send that story to my relatives. And that's very hard to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, how did you go from writing short stories to full-length books well, the the concept, the short story, I started writing them nine years ago, and I started publishing this series of books called Healthy Stories with the Health Department. And at a certain point, I realized that the first short story I published, The Stairs, was ready to be made into a book, 
And a number of people told me I should consider writing a book about my father. So I said the day I retire, I would sit down and start writing the memoir about my father and myself. And I did that. Then the day after I retired, I sat down in front of the computer, started typing, and 17 months later, I had the first draft of the book, A Hebraic Obsession. Then it took another month or two to polish, polish, polish. And then I said, enough's enough. I'm going forward with it. And I've been very lucky and successful in selling a number of copies and getting some phenomenal reviews. Awesome, awesome. Now, speaking of that, because you um, mentioned that uh, the the stairs is actually the first chapter of the of your book, I thought that was very very interesting, and so and then I thought it was interesting that when you actually shot this this film, you only shot it in twelve hours. How did you get? How did you manage that? Well, the first part is the the first chapter of the book, as most authors know, is usually your best chapter, and when you have a chapter that people read it and they go, "Wow, I want to read more." That's the one you can think of if you're going to make a successful film. Uh, That's the one you want to go with. So Blake and I decided that we would have one day to shoot the film because of money involved and having 25 people working for you for one day. We were fortunate to have this lovely lady's house in Portland, Oregon. And uh, to make a 10-minute film took us 12 hours, so that's a lot, a lot of work. The 12 hours seems like days, and by the end, when you only see a 10-minute film, you go, wow, we spent 12 hours to make 10 minutes. And Blake did a great job of finding all the people for that film. Wow. Now, Blake, let's let's bring you in. You are uh, Mr. Uh, Mort's son, and also also you are a producer of the the project. Now, is this the the first film that you've actually produced, or was this your introduction Uh, uh, in producing? first uh, film I produced was called The American Dream. I made it with a fellow student I was uh, attending film school with named Hakeem. And it wasn't even a requirement to make a film at the end of the program. And it would be one of those things I would have hated myself for the rest of my life if I never made a film and went to film school. Mm-hmm. So that was the first film I produced. I was the co-writer on it. And it was my father actually saw the production value of it and how little we spent to make it. And he was amazed at what I accomplished. And when he published his book, he was like, I want you guys to make a short film for us. And he knew we could do it. So uh, it was just us believing in ourselves and dealing with a bigger crew and making the product better than the last. So, Wow. That's that's incredible. And now you are not the only one that actually from the family that actually participated. So talk about the different roles from your family that actually helped with this um with this film. Um my older brother Jason, he's an attorney, so he helped out with the legal issues, uh with insurance and all that good stuff. Travis, he is uh part-time videographer here in South Florida, and he helped out with uh, visual representation of helping my father get 
uh, vision that he saw in his eyes. But he also believed in my team of great people up in Portland, Oregon, that I worked with. And uh, I've worked with them before. They all are very professional. And it it takes a team to make something great. It's not just one individual. And and it was very important. It was very special because it was a family uh, movie. And Blake's mom was very helpful. She organized the purchasing of the food for the show, distributing the food, gophering around, getting all kinds of things done. So it was a family event. Oh, that's nice. That is really nice. Now let's get into the book. And I'm gonna. I'm not, I'm not gonna. Say, I want, don't want to say it wrong. A Hebraic obsession. Is that correct? Close enough. Oh. <laughs> Hebraic. Okay. It's Hebraic. Okay. <laughs> Hebraic. I knew I was gonna get it wrong. Perfect. Hebraic Perfect. obsession. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now the process of getting the gathering the data from this book had to have been fascinating. Where did you start with the process of just getting the information to write the book? Well, I was very fortunate. The first thing I had is my father had done a three-hour Holocaust tape. And with that, I had the basis of a, a pretty good story. But then I continued doing research, and there's a museum dedicated to Holocaust in Israel called Yad Vashem. And that, there was a lady working on her Ph.D., and she wrote a 36-page paper about a group of Jewish men who worked on shoveling the snow off of the railroad tracks in the Soviet Union. And my father was that doc- the doctor for that group. So because of that 36 uh, pages, I had another major section. And as I was getting to the end of the book, I didn't know how to end the book. And one day an email came in from my cousin in Los Angeles and he had found a transcript that my dad had done at the end of the war when he testified against the Nazi commandant. And in that transcript, my dad's testimony led to the hanging of that gentleman who had murdered a good, many, many Jews. And I learned more things, and I learned a, a kind of a different version than the beginning of the book. So it was like a gift from heaven getting the, the last chapter of the book in an email as I was closing the book up. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine what was going through your mind as you were reading what your, your dad actually went through. I mean, what was going through your mind when you were reading this? Well, it's, it's rather horrifying. You, you wonder how any human being could survive under conditions of no food, being right. tortured, being beaten up, watching people being murdered. I mean, I don't know. If, I doubt that I could have survived it, but my dad was a pretty phenomenal man, and uh, what he witnessed and what he saw and what that was done to him was uh, terrifying. Oh my gosh. Now, I want to read a paragraph from your book, and it can be found at Mortleitner.com. Leitner, I'm saying your name wrong. Mortleitner.com, and that's M O R T L A I. T-N-E-R.com. I want to make sure that everybody gets that information. And it reads, a 10-year-old boy hides at the top of the stairwell listening to his father tell his harrowing story about almost being gassed to death in a Nazi concentration camp. He doesn't dare ask his father to explain. His dad offers no details, no further details. Now, I just, you are that little boy. 
So talk to me about exactly. that little 10-year-old boy listening to this conversation. Well, I always wondered if my father knew I was on the top of the steps listening to that story. And in the book, I think I, I speculate that he was. He, he understood that I was there, and he wanted me to hear that story. But he never told it to me face-to-face. And I had decided as a boy and a young man never to make him relive those experiences by making him tell me the stories, figuring if he wanted to tell me the stories, he would. And he never did, and I never went and rose the subject with him. So it was part of the reason for all the research and work is I needed to hear more of the story. My father says on the tapes that he did a three-hour tape for the Holocaust Museum, and he says that what he has told the, uh, the interviewer is only like one one-thousandth of what he had seen and what happened to him and what he had witnessed. So in reality, I know a very tiny amount of information, but I found enough where I felt I could write a good book about it. Absolutely. Now, now Blake, what were your thoughts when you heard this story? Oh, when I heard the story, I uh, felt like it was my duty to to produce this, not only because my father published the book, but to uh, never let go of what happened, you know. And being a true story, it made it even more powerful. So, and it was a win-win, really, in the end, because he got another media outlet for his book that he's trying to sell. Also, I got to produce another short film, and in this industry, it's about content. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Now, Mort, when you look back over the chapters of this book, and you're actually reviewing your own life, because not only is it about what happened with your father, but it's about your own life as well. What lessons have you learned as you actually looked over this, uh, the book? Nikkei, what was interesting in writing the book, after I had written a certain number of chapters, I realized that the book was morphing into a book about me. And obviously I knew a lot more about me than I knew about my father. <laughs> right. and, and what I learned is that a writer has a duty, a responsibility, and a major challenge in laying out their soul to the reader. And if you don't have the courage to put everything on paper for fear that people will be antagonized and make fun of you or ostracize you, you're basically in a situation where you shouldn't be writing the book. You've got to give your heart, your soul to the book, and whatever happens, happens. And I've gotten critiques and comments that I didn't like, but I knew that I had to be true to myself and I wasn't going to hide any of my personal aspects of my life. I wanted to put it all in the book so the reader would understand where I was coming from and what my life was about as well. Wow. Wow. That must have been difficult. I, I, I know critiques for writers, it's, it's a tough thing, but when they're critiquing work that's actually based on you, is it, is it a little different? Definitely. It hurts a lot more if they say bad stuff about your life. Right, right, right. Wow. And basically is the comments, some of the comments were you shouldn't have said that, that, you know, that doesn't belong in the book, but it's almost impossible to please everyone. So whatever book you're going to write, if you don't please yourself first, 
you're not going to be happy at the end. So when I finished the book, I didn't really care what the critics said. I didn't care what my supposed friends said. I was, I, what I did care about is that I knew I had a good final product. I had a book that people would start reading, and 320 pages later, they would finish reading the book. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want someone to read the first 50 pages and, and put it away. I wanted a person to say, this book is worth reading. And many of my readers have managed to read the book in a day or two. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Real page turner. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, now, as as we, yeah, and as we as we um, spoke earlier, the the stairs is actually a award winning film that had its world premiere at the Cinema Paradiso in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, of this year. And so I just wanted, as I mean, as a future um, film uh, maker, I'm just going to put that out there. Um, I just can't imagine the, the, the first time that you're walking, you're, you're sitting there and you're at your world premiere. I mean, what was that like? It was absolutely amazing. I had watched the movie on an 18-inch computer screen, which did, which did no justice to the actors or to the movie. But when you see it in a large movie theater with a packed house and they're cheering for the movie and they can come up and congratulate you, and you see the nuances that the actors put on into their acting, you just get blown away and you're saying, wow, I can't believe I ended up with such a great project. And Blake and his team just did a very, very professional job. Wow. Now, Blake, I know you had to have been so proud. I mean, what was going through your mind? Um, I unfortunately live in Eugene, Oregon, so I didn't have a mm-hmm. chance to make it to the world premiere, but I'm here in South Florida now for the Fort Lauderdale International uh, Film Festival, and mm-hmm. I, I'm ecstatic. I'm lost for words. It's, it, it's been it's been a wave. It's been a ride, and uh, but it, I I'm uh, looking to uh, direct. I'm looking to move past producing and. I build a cast and crew in Eugene, Oregon, and I'm looking to direct my first short called Grandma Aunt. It's a story wow. about a dedicated uh, university student presented with an excuse to break up with his self-centered flighty girlfriend only to con- confront a new romantic predicament. Mm. Okay. Sounds interesting. And, uh, Look forward to that. I'm up for the challenge. So. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, so, yeah, the Sun, uh, you uh, got the article about the Sun Centennial, um, talking about the 31st Fort Lauderdale International Film Festival this month. And your film was up yesterday, wasn't it? Yes, it was. We saw it two days in a row in Hollywood, Florida. I'm so proud of this film, but part of the fun of making a film is applying for different film festivals. And Blake and I have been honored with 16 acceptances around the world. The film has won awards in Israel, in Canada, in Slovakia, in South Africa. So five different nations, about seven different states. And one of the great things is opening up your email and getting the message, congratulations, you have been accepted to the following festival. And uh, every time I write on my blog how happy that makes me, back to that mortlightner.com. Wow, that is incredible. Yes, the, the Near Nazareth Film Festival 
Award in Israel winner, top indie film award winner, best documentary short in Canada. I mean, and as you mentioned, South Africa's. I mean, this just that is just incredible. I mean, to yeah. to to actually be accepted, but to know that you were actually accepted around the world. <laughs> that is that is absolutely <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it absolutely is absolutely amazing. amazing. Again, it, it goes to show that people at any age in their life should be working on projects and going fo- forward doing artistic things. I'm not a young man, but this has become my passion, and this journey is getting better as I get older. And in my retirement, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm loving writing and I'm loving filmmaking and working with Blake. So it is a uh, true honor. And one of the great things of having been a writer for at least the last nine years is that the rewards now come in almost every day, either in acceptances or speeches or sales of books or whatever it is, every day something unique happens because of this journey that I'm on. Oh, that is incredible. Now, uh, this this month I have uh, my theme, Know Who You Are, and I actually I was thinking about what theme I was going to have this month, and because I was interviewing you, I decided on that particular one. Know who you are. And because I just think it's so important, especially when you're following your passion and, and about your family. And, of course, you writing this book, it's just, you know, it's, I'm sure it just opened up so many, so many different thoughts. And, 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 and you know, of course, you, you know, your, your respect level, I'm, I'm more than sure, shot through the roof. And, um, and I just I started thinking about my own grandfather's heroism and the racial barriers that he, that he broke. And so... You know, you just—I know you're just so proud of your of, the, of your own bloodline, and so I was just wondering, um, when you discovered this part of your history, and knowing that it's it's a part of just one of the the most heartbreaking parts of the parts of history, period, in the world. Um, I, I'm curious, what was your your very first thought when you when you when you when you discovered that your very very first thought? Well, again, I was a very young man. I was a 10-year-old, and I'm sitting, and people are visiting my father, who had also been in concentration camps and hadn't seen him since the, uh, during the war, and he's telling them this story about almost being gassed to death, and it, I was horrified, and I became obsessed. That The name of Hebraic Obsession is basically, mm-hmm. it was my obsession with being learning about the Holocaust, learning about the Nazis, learning about Judaism, learning about all aspects of this horrendous event, and the basically the more I learned, the more obsessed I became. And it wasn't until recently, maybe after writing this book, that some of that obsession uh, calmed down because I was totally drained after spending mm-hmm. 17 months on the book. I could no longer look at it. And I really no longer really looked much at Holocaust films. But I feel in a way, I say this in the book and in the movie, that I have a duty to pass on my father's story. And my son Blake has a duty to pass on the story to his children. And he's doing it through this movie that hopefully will be around for years. And my grandchildren will have a duty to also pass on the story with the concept again that we can never let this happen again just like uh, all people who have been oppressed uh, need to keep talking about their oppression so they won't allow the oppression to come back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Now, Mort, you talked about, you know, your own personal self-discovery. Blake, what about you? Has, has this helped you with your own personal self-discovery? It has. It really has. It, it shows me that if I want to accomplish anything, it is possible. If you want to write a story and make a movie, it is possible. It, it's a lot of work, but anything is possible. Uh, sound like Kevin Garnett when I said that. That's a quote by him. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, basically, people are always going to say you can't do something, and that just should inspire you to do it more, really. So. Yeah, wow. Now, now, Mort, I mentioned that your father was um, Dr. Leighton, Leitner, and so he was a medical doctor. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Awesome, awesome. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I, I had got that, that, that particular um, information correct. And so one of the, on my show, of course, I, I talk a lot about passion and pursuing your passion. And um, so, Blake, what is your definition of passion? My definition of passion is when you want something bad enough, you're willing to give your blood, sweat, and tears, and however many hours it takes to get something done and do it right. Absolutely. As far and what, what as is, my passion, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm, I'm no, go ahead. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Passion right now. I following my passion in my father's footsteps of becoming a writer, and I am writing a feature film, and I plan to pitch it in Hollywood when it's done with my partner called The Winter Farmer. Awesome. And okay, awesome. my concept of passion as a writer is when you're, it's one, two, three in the morning, and you want to go to sleep, but you're writing, and you write all night realizing that you'll never fall asleep because your passion to get the message and the story done is insatiable. You have to keep working on it until it's finished. Yeah. Absolutely. I also like yes. to add my passion too is when I call my partner five times and he doesn't pick up when I want to give him an idea for a scene <laughs> in, in the film. <laughs> and then I send him a text message and then he finally gets back to me. But I, I, I see that as uh, that's my passion. <laughs> Right. Not giving up. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to get to a couple of emails. Uh, Let's see. Okay. So in learning so so many things about your father, name one quality you really admire. My father's ability to survive. I mean, Mm -hmm. the conditions he was put under... He utilized his brains, his cunning. He utilized whatever he had on, uh, inside of him, and he figured out to survive where most people would have just given up and died early on. Wow, wow, wow. All right. And see, Lacey in Atlanta says, how has your father's experience helped shape you as a man, husband, and father? Well, as a man, it's taught me, again, to respect mankind, people who have the ability to survive in the most adverse conditions. As a husband and a father, it's taught me to try to be as tolerant of 
other people's mistakes and try not to feel that they, people, you know, can need love more than anything else and not to be uh, obsessive in the sense that things won't change for the better and work with people rather than uh, trying to be obstructive. Right, right, absolutely. All right, now this question is for both of you. What is your definition of success? Uh, you want to go first? Okay. Um, this is Blake. Uh, my definition of success, it, it's different for everybody. Some people, I, I think to be successful is to have stability, you know, to people think success is all about fame and, you know, accolades and all that stuff. Success is when you feel good about yourself, when you accomplish something that you put a lot of work into. And the stairs is definitely, I feel successful doing the stairs. So, My definition of success deals when I see someone reading my work and I see tears come out of their eyes, I know I've been successful. When I hear them laughing out loud, I know I've been successful. So getting the emotions of the reader to come out and say how much they loved it and laughed and cried is what I really feel I've hit this success button. Wow. Now, after the after people saw the film, and I'm sure they came up to you and started talking to you, what are some of the things that you remember that just stuck with you that they they, they, tell, they told you after they saw the film? Well, just recently at the Fort Lauderdale International Film Festival, one of the beautiful things that happened is that we're, we're in the program for the festival, and it's a beautiful program, and one of the gentlemen in the audience came up to me, handed me a pen, and had me autograph on the page where the stairs was, autograph the program for him. With that little gesture, he made me feel so good and honored that I just loved that whole day because he just handed me a pen and said, please autograph this book for me. Uh, What also is interesting is the concept of people who really don't know much about the Holocaust ending up saying to you, now that I've seen this movie or now that I've read this book, I've taken an interest in this subject matter, and now I'm looking into it and I'm learning about it. And thank you very much for opening my eyes. Absolutely. I'm sure that's probably one of the biggest takeaways that you wanted for your readers, correct? Exactly. Once, if you can open your readers' eyes to something that their eyes are shut, it's amazing. You're, you're uh, you know, doing something which is very valuable to them. It's valuable to the story. And again, you want people to learn what happened. You don't want people to forget it. You don't want people to hear yeah. someone denying that it happened. And you want people to say, this happened, and I know enough about it to know that I, this could never happen again. Right, right. Now, to that person that wants to write a memoir, what, what kind of advice do you have for them as far as getting started? It's very simple advice. You get in front of your computer, you write your name on the top of the page, and you start typing away. Because as you, re- you write the story, it'll change 100 times, but you've got to start writing, writing, and at least knock out 20 pages. I have a project mm-hmm. where I'm asking people when I talk to them 
to sit down and write a 20-page memoir where they put in their life lessons, what they want their children, grandchildren, great-children, grandchildren to learn about them and make a copy of that, no matter whether it's poorly written or not, and put that in their safe deposit box next to their will. And I think their children, grandchildren will appreciate the life lessons from their, the deceased just as much as they appreciate that well. Wow. And, and what about uh, screenwriting, if, uh, writing a, a film? What kind of advice do you have for um, somebody who's trying to write a film? I would just tell them to picture the, 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 the scenes in their head. It's all a matter mm. of imagery. So if you can picture mm. each scene, you know you've succeeded. If you can't picture it, you've got to work on it some more. Right, right. Now let's talk about pitching, because that's probably one of the scariest things, for, especially for somebody who's just starting out. What kind of advice do you have for them as far as pitching? When you're pitching any project, you have a very short period of time to convince something, somebody about it. So you've got to be very concise, as I talked about earlier, that I learned in my legal mm-hmm. career. It's got to be short, sweet, simple. Keep it simple as the KISS process. Uh, if you do that, you have a shot. If you start getting boring or bogged down, no one's going to want to spend the time to listen to the next chapter. You've got to give it to them mm-hmm. fast and quick and hope that you've uh, got there to say, yes, I want to hear more. Absolutely. And Blake, what do you think? Um, I think uh, pitching uh, – it- you understand the story, you should be able to tell it under 60 seconds. And if you don't, if you're unable to tell it under 60 seconds, you really don't understand what the message you are really conveying. So you're beating around the bush when you are telling this story, when you should already know your message and what you're conveying and where your first act one act two and act three are. If you don't know how your story ends, then it's hard to pitch a story. So, right, absolutely, wow. And and what um what are your thoughts about the writing process? What kind of advice would you give to somebody, a new writer? Um, just start writing. Just uh, if you have an idea you want to make into a film, uh, just anybody could go online and read screenplays and learn from the greats and how to do it and how the format it is. But basically, it's everyone has stories to tell, and it's about getting into your role of your characters and understanding what the story is and what the message you're trying to convey. So. Absolutely. Now, Mort, considering where you are right now and the fact that you've, you've written this amazing book and you have this wonderful film, if you could talk to that 10-year-old boy at the top of the stairs, what would you tell him about what he can expect? Well, life's a mystery. Life mm-hmm. is a miracle. Uh, to run with your passions, to uh, take as many risks as you can, to uh, be willing to gamble a little bit in life, 
because later on in your life it's going to be too late and you've missed the opportunities. So it is so important uh, when opportunity knocks that open that door. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Blake, you mentioned that you were you definitely learned these these lessons from your father now, so that you definitely want to jump jump in as soon as possible. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Uh, after he got the book published, it, it shows me that, you know, anything you want to accomplish in life is doable with a lot of hard work and and knowledge. Obviously, uh, knowledge is everything. Learning and reading and studying. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this question is for both of you. What is the best advice you have ever received? Blake, uh, and Blake, you have to say you have to say something your dad said. <laughs> Both of us are trying to pawn the question off on each other. Uh, it's really hard to talk about the best advice. There's a lot of good advice out there. Uh, I kind of like the one that goes, "Don't take life too seriously." Because you get a lot of curveballs pitched at you, and if you things go bad and things go sour, but uh, things eventually change, and if you're willing to work on change and willing to take the risks, things will get better. So not to get bogged down in in misery, but to look forward to a future in which things will improve, and to work for that improvement. Okay. Ironically, the best advice I receive is right next, sitting right next to me, my father, <laughs> and it is uh, talk is cheap, but actions speak louder than words. You know, everyone mm-hmm. says they're going to do something, but until they actually do it, you don't see results. Yeah. Wow. All right, so let's go the other way. Worst advice. Uh, Worst advice is people people who continually say to you the negativity, don't do it, don't try, the the N-O-T, it's not worth doing. Uh, If if you listen to the negative people, you're not going to accomplish anything. Hang out with positive people, work on positivity, and if they're negative, tell them to find another room to go into. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I disagree. I think the negativity uh, fuels me. Uh, I call it haterade. And uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, it it, it, it makes you want to do it more and succeed and prove everybody wrong. But the worst advice I got, I'll be totally honest, was uh, to attend film school. <laughs> um, literally... <laughs> You do not need to attend film school to make a film. It's just about writing a good story, going out to find the actors, going out to find the director of photography. And and it it doesn't have to be a big crew. And the story doesn't have to be long. And it is about... and. And I thought that I would have to go to film school to make a film, and that never, that's never been the case altogether. Let's talk about that. As far as the actual filming itself, 
Because, of course, you know, people use all different kinds of technology now. So when you actually start the filming process, do you use a particular camera? What do you use? I believe I, I put trust in my director that I've worked on before to find the right DP on the project. For people that aren't familiar with the DP, is, it is the director of photography or the camera guy, what we put in layman's mm-hmm. terms. And uh, basically what it, then it comes down to is I've already had a crew out there in, in Portland, a wonderful crew mm-hmm. I've worked with before on my first short. But in order to accomplish what we had to do in one day, we had to bring on a few other great people. And you bring on a lot of great people that want to do something great, you will have a a great finished product. Two things. One thing is you have to remember that Murphy's Law is around every corner and be very careful and prepared if uh, suddenly your luck starts turning south. And one of the reasons I think that we won so many honors for this film is that we rented a $30,000 movie camera for the day. Ah. And the, to get the quality of Hollywood film, you can't really, you can try to do it with an iPhone. But I think having a, a $30,000 movie camera from, which is almost equivalent to Hollywood, uh, really helped make the film when you you watch the actors' faces on the big screen, and you see every little nuance that you know clearly. Uh, it makes it a beautiful tableau. How did you get the funding to do this to, to do the film? It was uh, my wife said as long as I teach at Barry University and make the money as a teacher, I can spend the money on my film. So it was self-funded. Wow. Now I'm charging a few dollars to let, for people to show it because I want to make a full-length movie out of the book. So if mm. I get enough success and find a way to figure out how to take maybe seven chapters out of a 30-chapter book, I then will have the potential to go back to Portland, Oregon, hopefully find some of the same actors, and instead of spending uh, one day, maybe spending five days there, and at the end of the process, have a one-hour feature-length movie instead of a 10-minute short film. Hmm. Wow. Or I can okay. keep working at Barry University and put my money away. <laughs> and have a tolerant wife wow. who's allowing me to spend right. the money that she could be using. So. <laughs> now, that support. That is wonderful support. Wow. <laughs> Now, what's the process of getting into a film festival? Well, I literally knew nothing about that process about six months ago. I went onto Amazon where you can purchase all of Mort Leitner's books for people who want to purchase my books. And I went onto Amazon and I found four excellent books on film festivals. And they taught me the ABCs. They taught me step one, step two, step three. And I read all four books. And it's really, really easy. Once your movie is done, you go to this site called Film Freeway, and the movie is downloaded, and you put it into Film Freeway, and about there are only about 4,000 film festivals. And you, the hardest part may be selecting which ones you want to enter and deciding what your niche is. 
And then you start entering, and there are ones that cost money, and there are ones that are free. And then you have that, this great ride. But again, like all writers and all artists, there are a lot of rejection, too. So uh, we've been really fortunate winning about 24% of the film festivals we've entered. But every day when you get a film festival saying, sorry, you made a great film, but we're not accepting you, it hurts a little bit. Right, right. Wow. Now, as a writer, do you do you believe that people should just find their niche and stick to it, or do you feel that people should be able to just write several, go into several different genres? What What are your thoughts on that? Well, definitely several different genres. When when I started, I talked about I wrote poetry to my wife when I was twenty. I wrote short right. stories in my late fifties. And right. I just published my first children's uh, book, a picture book called The Hanukkah Bunny. So here oh, I am, right. never, thinking, <laughs> never thinking that I would ever write a children's book. But one of my short stories got such accolades that I said, wait a minute, this could be a beautiful picture book. I went on to Craigslist. I found an artist. The artist and I worked together and we published the book and now I have a beautiful uh, little storybook that I'm very proud of, and it's a totally new genre. So I'm all for trying new genres and experiencing them. So don't don't limit yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. So that must have been fun writing a children's book. I know, as far as as far as writing children's books, what would you say are some of the most important things that um, children book writers should should do? Well, I tried to make it simple enough that an eight-year-old would enjoy it, but also have a reader who was an adult enjoy it. So it's a tricky road to go. I didn't try to make it to sound like, oh, this book is only for children, because the story was cute enough to to have the the reader understand that anyone, I, I say on the back of the book that uh, anyone from an eight-year-old to an 85-year-old would love the story because the story is so good and it's a cute little story. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. And so Blake, um, what, are, what, what genres, what areas do you mostly like to write about? Um, I like to write comedy, but I'm, I could write anything. I, I like to push my boundaries and I, I like to go drama to, um, get into deeper into my characters as far as emotion is uh, words bring so much emotion to the character when they speak and uh, I um, I like to write anything that anyone wants to give me an opportunity to write so just okay. leave it at that All right. okay alright great and so uh, Mort I'm going to start with you do you have any regrets? I, that's a really tough question. And I think like most people, the regrets, regrets that I have deal with opportunities in my life that were given me. And later on, I look back and say, wait a minute, you blew that opportunity. And one of the regrets I have is an interesting one, which says, instead of going on to college and becoming a lawyer, Maybe I should have gone into creative writing and gotten a degree and practiced writing my whole life 
I may be a lot poorer, but I may have had a more happy life. <laughs> Blake, what about you? Um, so cliche to say that I have no regrets, no regrets, because uh, no. we all have regrets in life. But I think all our mistakes we made in life make us who we are today. So I don't live in the past. Uh, you can't. You only could look forward to today. Even though the future, they say the future isn't a real thing, I believe it is, and it's something to work towards. So. Awesome, awesome. Now, more. What do you consider to be the best time of your life? I, you know, right now I'm in the best time of my life. I, I, when people say that their best time of their life was when they were in college, I understand that. But at this time in my life, I'm having uh, the choice of having a grandchild, having my sons with me and uh, watching them grow, and having a career in which I am enjoying riding the wave. So uh, it, it doesn't really get much better when you, you, you know, you're tasting accolades, when people say nice things about your, your writing and you feel proud that you're a member of the artistic community of writers. And I feel very proud and honored. God didn't give me the ability to play a musical instrument, but he put a pen in my hand and made it easier for me to write my stories. And I'm blessed with that. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so next question is, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Well, hopefully I'm alive. <laughs> a, oh, you will. Be. It, it, <laughs> you will. <be. laughs> uh, again, I'm, I'm hoping that Blake and I get to make the feature film. I'm hoping <laughs> that my writing career keeps growing, and I enjoy that. And uh, I'm hoping to watch my grandchildren grow up more and uh, just move forward for uh, for my career as a writer. And Blake? Ten years from now? Um, mm-hmm. Being a successful director slash producer, um, putting more and more content out to uh, the public to, uh, show, my, to uh, show my messages. And uh, I don't want to live in L.A., but I want to go sell my movies. So if it, I just hope it doesn't take ten years to do that. So, but if I have to live there, my dream come true, I'll deal with the traffic. So, um, but yeah, I see myself um, stay passionate um, as I am with this filmmaking. I've always been passionate my whole life watching films and always loved um, when a director told a story right and always conveyed a, a great message at the end. And it's just about um, enjoying, enjoying the ride. Oh, excellent, excellent. I'm, I'm going to ask an offbeat question for both of you. If you could today pack up your bags, no money, no money worries, what would your destination be? Well, I love Europe. So I could go to almost any country in Europe and enjoy the culture and uh, the museums 
And so I, I guess right now I would say I, I would try to repeat maybe what I did when I was 20 years old, get on the trains of Europe and see as much of Europe again as I had as a young man. For me, if I could pack my bags and just go anywhere right now, it would be here in Fort Lauderdale to see my mother and father and be at the Fort Lauderdale International Film Festival. But for the the dream, you know, waking up in that magical place, it would be Hawaii. It's just I see paradise there. So awesome. Well, if you can believe it, we are down to the last three minutes and forty seconds of the show. So. Mort, do you have any final thoughts? Well, as you stated, Nikkei, in the beginning, that mortleitner.com, if you go to my website, you can see the trailer to the movie. There's a picture of the stairs, the poster of the stairs, and there's a one-minute little trailer to get a feel for the movie. Uh, You can get to see the books, The Hanukkah Bunny, The Greatest Gift, A Hebraic Obsession, and I've posted about 100 short stories on my website so you can learn more about my, what I've written about during my career and learn a number of good life lessons. Uh, that's it for me. Um, final okay. thoughts. Uh, thank you uh, for having us. Also, if the audience would like to see my first short film, it's called The American Dream. It's on my YouTube channel. Blake L A I T N E R, and uh, we. Oh, I I'm, also. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say that. Say that one more time. On there, and I uh, also plan on putting more content as life goes on. So. Okay. Say that YouTube name again. I think it got jumbled. Um. Blake L A I T N E R. Oh. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I do appreciate your time, and um, I will definitely have the as I've already put the information out on my uh, social media, but I will update it with um, the information for you as well, Blake. And so I just want to thank you so much, and I want to thank you for, um, Mark, for writing such an important piece of work, and it's just incredible what, you've, what you have accomplished. And so I just want to thank you for sharing, sharing your time today. Anika, Anika, we want to thank you for letting us have this honor. We've really appreciated being on your radio program. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you have been listening to Journey into Passion with me, Anika S. on Everyday Folks Radio. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this show. As I have spoken to published author and award-winning screenwriter, Mort Leitner, and his son, Blake Leitner. To get more information and to purchase uh, purchase Mort's work, please visit mortleitner at dot com. That's M O R T L A I T N E R. And as Blake said, his YouTube channel Blake Leitner. So just make sure I'm gonna, I definitely have that information on my social media, and you can find that information at www.facebook.com slash journey into passion with a NKS. Make sure you tune in next week on November 19th when my co-hosts, Nerissa Street and Shanette Dean, will return for our monthly show at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on Everyday Folks Radio. I'm actually going to end today's show with a quote from last week's guest, 
Vice Mayor of Cutler Bay, Florida, and author of When I Was Your Age, Ernie Social. He says, having good character makes you a very successful person. I really like that. Until next time, have a great weekend, and have great success on your journey into your passion. Take care.